want to say welcome to our brand new Big Fall series that we're calling Idol of Me. I want to say welcome to all of our services happening all weekend long at our Plantation Campus. Also, welcome to our Gateway Campus east of I-75 as well. Yeah, yeah and we want to welcome you as well. If this is your first time somebody invited you, someone promised to buy you lunch, breakfast, dinner, however they got you here. We are so glad you're here experiencing Next Level. My name is Mike Ash. I'm the executive pastor here. And my name is Matt Keller, and I am the uh, lead pastor here at Next Level Church. And maybe you're wondering to yourself, well, why are you both up there right now? Well, the truth is because when we when we started thinking about this whole, you know, series concept of like the idol of me, like this whole, you know, like center of the universe, like the whole thing that we're going to talk about here in a couple of minutes, we were like, well, great. Who wants to kick that off by themselves? Not it. And, and so they, we all said not it at the same time. And so we're like, well, then you know what? Let's do it together. I mean, you and I have a team taught like in what, like five, five years, years yeah. since the high school days back in the day. So we're excited to be up here together. We're excited to kick off this Idol of Me series because here's the, here's the reality. The reality is that in our world today, everything points to us being the center of the, of the universe, the center of attention, the whole, and, and, and it's human nature. I mean, it's sure, this human nature of the, you know, that we, wanna, we want the best, we want to be the best, we want to have the best, we, wanna, we want our world to be centered around us. And yet, what we've discovered is that when you study the life and the ministry, the teachings of Jesus, he actually taught the exact opposite. That the concepts, the, the teachings of Jesus are that we would prefer others and that we would actually not be the center of our world. Yeah, and this story is actually in Mark chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, you can you can look there. But I'm just going to tell you the story a little bit. Mark chapter 9, there's, there's a time where Jesus is walking down the road and he's with his disciples. And the disciples sort of hang back. And Jesus walks out in front of the disciples and the disciples hang back. And the reason why they're hanging back is because they're arguing. What they're arguing about is who is the best? Like, who was the first? Who's, who was, like, the number one disciple? I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, we do that with siblings. and go, I'm the favorite kid. No, you're a favorite kid. You know, we kind of argue about some of those things or if you're at a workplace. But we probably don't ever think about the disciples as hanging back and talking about, well, Peter saying things like, well, I walked on water. And John going, yeah, but Jesus loves me. I mean, you, you don't think about those things as far as them arguing about that. So they're arguing about it, and they get to where they're going. Jesus calls them all together. He goes, hey, what are you guys arguing about? And they're all sheepish, like, oh, I don't want to tell you because it's going to, you know, they, they know they're going to get. But because Jesus is Jesus, he knows what they're talking about. And he says this. He says, if you want to be first, you have to be very last. And the servant of us all. And in our world that says, if you want to be first, you've got to fight and make yourself the first and make yourself the center of attention. This concept that Jesus proposes says, listen, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to follow him. We don't have to just keep pushing ourselves forward in our lives and make ourselves all about us, but we have to be servants of everyone and put others before us. So throughout the weeks of this series, we're going to be talking about how we don't allow ourselves to become the center of our world when we live in a world that tells us we ought to be at the center. And so each of the six weeks of this series, we're going to look at six different idols, if you will, that, that tempt us to be the center of our world. And this weekend, in all of our services, we're going to, to talk about the first idol, and that is the idol of position. The idol of position. That's what we're talking about this weekend. And so, so the reason why we wanted to speak together was because this is something that for us, man, we've been working together for 
gosh, 12 and a half years now, and uh, we've been friends in that whole thing. We figured a lot of this stuff out, and, and the truth is our friendship uh, not only is, is just from the last 12 and a half years, but we've been friends even further back than that. Well, yeah, and I would say, I would say we, we've been friends. We've kind of known each other further back than that. I would say we probably weren't friends beyond when we moved here. Here's the reason why I say that is because when we first really got to know each other, he was like the head of this camp. And I was like grounds crew, okay? <laughs> so we were, it was definitely not like, oh, we were like hanging out all the time. It was like, hey, I wonder if he knows my name. And then, and then we worked at a church together. And I was like, hey, what's he doing wrong? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and I was. So, and then, and then we worked at a church together, and he was like a big dog pastor, and I was a janitor. Okay, so we knew each other and probably knew each other's name, me more than you, but but uh, I, I would say friendship-wise, it was really, well, it was well, really. Well, after that, because, okay, so when, so when Sarah and I felt called to move to Fort Myers uh, and start Next Level Church, we resigned our position as a big dog pastor, as you would say. Uh, so we resigned our position, and, and so that fall, uh, while we were raising money and trying to figure out the whole thing, I worked at a landscape company. We actually both did. There was a guy in the church that owned a landscape company, and so we were both working at, for this landscape guy. Yeah, and I would say that's when our friendship really took off. Part of the reason is because when he started working landscaping, so he was a big dog pastor. He was the boss when he started working landscaping. I was his boss for a little while, and it just felt right. It just, things just clicked on a different level. It was like two peas, and it just set a really good foundation for moving down here. <laughs> You know I'm the boss, right? <laughs> write that down. Matt's the boss. You got to write. Sarah. <laughs> Interesting. I'm not sure this is working. You know what? Come on, give it up for Mike as he goes and sits down. Anyway, all joking aside, we've been working together now for 12 and a half years. Like, we've been doing ministry together from, from four of us in the coffee shop to over 3,000 of us now and two campuses, over 30 staff. And, and so we figured a lot of this out. And honestly, you guys, one of the things that is interesting to us is we've started to realize how rare this is, that, that we've never let the idol of position slip in. And people, when we get around them, other pastors or church planners or leaders, they get around us and they're like, man, you guys, you complete each other's sentences. Like you figured this thing out, like you've learned a lot. And, and so honestly, that's why we wanted to do this this weekend, because we've discovered some things about working together, about living life together, about being friends, and, and about how, how to, to not allow the idol of position to slip in and to honestly, to really enjoy what we do. Yeah, and we talked about why that is, especially as we're planning out talking about one of these and talking about an idol of position as we go through this. And honestly, as we talked about it, one of the things that, that people will say to me on a regular basis, because I speak somewhat regular here at Next Level, but people will say to me, when are you going to go start your own church? Or when are you going to go be a senior pastor? Or when are you, essentially what you're asking, when are you going to become a real pastor someday? And then, so people ask me that. But honestly, I've never been enamored by that. I've never been pulled to that. I've never felt this, oh, one day I could go there. And, and even for us, we just don't see it as an arrival. For us, we've really found out, hey, let's fit the best place on the bus. Let's fit the best seat on the bus. And for me, I found that the seat that I'm in right now is such a good fit. There hasn't been this, well, the next position moving up the ladder, if you will. I've just said, you know what, let's find the best fit. I mean, it's been awesome. And from, from my perspective, in terms of position, like from the beginning of this thing, it's never, that's just never been my heart. Like that's just, 
excuse me, that's just never been who I am. Like that's, I don't, I don't mind, like even on the weekends in terms of communicators, like my heart has been to empower the next generation and develop the leaders around me and, and develop communicators so that there are multiple people who can stand up, you know, on stage on any given weekend and, and speak and communicate. And that's just, that's just always been my heart. And so in terms of working together, we just realized honestly that this is not normal. And so we've just tried to be intentional and make sure that the idol of position doesn't ever, ever get in our way in our lives and in our ministry. And, and the truth is we've worked with so many churches. We've worked with businesses and leaders who, who this idol of position thing slips in. It gets in there and, and it tears things apart. It messes things up. And this is, honestly, this is not just true in church world. It's not just true in the business world. This is true in every area of our life. This idol of position has the ability to get into every area of our life and bring destruction and, and cause us to not reach our full potential. Like I think about marriages. And sometimes you see marriages, right? Husband and wife, this deal, and, and, and the husband is jealous of the wife that she's getting more attention or more accolades or things are going well in her job or vice versa, whatever, or, or parents and children. And all of a sudden, the child, you know, is, is getting awards and is achieving things that, that, that when you were their age, like you didn't have. And all of a sudden, like with this idle position thing can just settle into our heart or, or co-workers it can happen or sibling rivalries and all of a sudden you see you know family members brothers who hate each other or who are jealous of each other or envious or or you know the sisters and well she was more beautiful look at that and it just it can slip its way in and if we're not careful every area of our life can be affected by the idol of position so what we want to do is we want to turn to first Samuel chapter 18 if you have your bibles with you and we're going to look at a story uh, of a guy named Saul. And Saul, if you don't know the story of Saul, I'll kind of tell you a little bit of his story. He was the first king ever in Israel. And he was the first king because the people all came to the prophet of the day, Samuel, and said, Samuel, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. We want a king. And Samuel said, you don't want a king. You want God to be your king. And they're like, no, we don't want God to be a king. We want a person to be your king. And so God essentially said, okay, give them a king. Let them choose their king. And they chose Saul. And they essentially elected Saul because he was big and he was strong and he was tough. And so Saul became their king. Well, after a couple of years, Saul didn't do such a good job as a king and was doing some things that God wasn't pleased with. So God decided, we're done with Saul. And so he decided Saul's done. He's done being the king. And he chose David to be the next king of Israel. But the interesting thing about their story is when God chose Saul to, to be done and chose David to be the king, he didn't immediately remove Saul. In fact, what he did is he left Saul as the king, and he took David, and he put David up under Saul, and put David as someone who was there to serve Saul. And as you look into their story, and look into their life, and look and see what happened, we'll see that Saul allowed the idol of position to infect and, and just invade his life and his leadership, and it cost him greatly. And the reason why we want to talk about this is because when we allow the idol of position, when we become all about the position that we're in, the position in our lives, when we allow that to reign in our lives and invade in our lives and become a root in our lives, it will mess up and it, our lives and it will cost us greatly as yeah, well. It really will. And, and so where we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 18 is, is post David and Goliath, so to speak, that it's that it's it, it is after the whole David and Goliath thing. And so David goes out and he slays Goliath and just motivates the army. They're infused with courage and they go and they just, you know, take over the Philistines that day. And for the next week, a few weeks or months, even uh, David and the King Saul's with him and the army of Israel. They're just making one victory after another, after another, just battle after battle after battle. They're just winning every one of those battles. 
And so one day, they come in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, they come in from, from another great victory, and the city has decided to throw them a parade. And so all of the townspeople have come out, and all of the women and children have come out, all the single ladies, all the single ladies, <laughs> they put their hands up. Like that, like it's like, so, so all of these ladies, they come out, the Bible says, and they start singing these songs. And so here comes King Saul, and he comes riding in on his horse. And when King Saul comes riding into the city, it, the women start singing and cheering and just this anthem of, of just adoration for King Saul. And then a few minutes later, King David comes riding in behind him. And they start singing and chanting and cheering him on as well. And when Saul heard what these women were singing about, these songs of adoration about David, it got to him. The idol of position jumped up in his face. Look, look at this, the song of what they were singing that bothered, that bothered Saul so much. Verse 7, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7 says this. As they danced, they sang. And the play is going to play, play, play. And the haters going to hate, hate, hate. And then Saul said, but I'm just going to shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Twelve and a half years. <laughs> I am a frustrated musician. But you, well, and dancer. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to bring that up. That's not what they're saying, is it? No, not, not exactly. Verse 7, look at this. Verse 7. Look, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands. So they're like, man, he's great. But look at this part. And David is tens of thousands. So all of the town has come out, and all these women are singing and cheering, and they're saying, Saul is great. But that David, he's even greater. And look at what verse 8 says. And Saul was very angry. The idol of position slipped into Saul's life, into his leadership, and it affected him. It got under his, his skin. Why? Because David threatened his position. Saul allowed the idol of position to be present in his life, and when it did, it cost him greatly. When you came into your service this weekend at both of our campuses, you were handed a bulletin. Inside of there is a slip of paper. We would love for you to pull that out because we want to talk about three things that happened when we allow the idol of position to be present in our life. And here's the first one. When we allow the idol of position to be present in our life, number one, we believe that God's favor should only be present on our, our life alone. When we, believe, when, when we allow the idol of position to be present in our life, we believe that God's favor should only be on me. See, as, as a leader, Saul, when he heard the people cheering for David... When he heard the crowd going crazy and being like, Saul's awesome, but David is more awesome. You know what the right response as a leader was? You know what it should have been? You know what the emotionally healthy response should have been for Saul in that moment? To be proud of David. To be like, that's my boy. Like, like he's the man. Like, can you believe that, that I have someone like a David in my service winning battles and victories for me? But he wasn't. The idol of position caused Saul to say, you know what? I don't want anybody else to share the glory but me. I don't want anybody else to get any of the accolades. Just me. So come on. What about us? 
Come on, let me talk to business leaders. We're a couple of weeks away from advanced one day. Business leaders, come on, what about us? That person in the office that's winning all the awards, that's breaking all of the records, that's setting the bar that everybody's excited about. What about us? Do we look on at them and secretly inside struggle? Are we feeling that tension? Are we going, man, I, I need to figure out a way to keep them down. I need to figure out a way to, to isolate them and not help them or sabotage them, whatever. Come on. Come on. We cannot let the idol of position take root in our heart. I know for me, it's one of the greatest compliments that I can receive as a leader is when, and this happens often, Sarah and I will be standing in the foyer after one of our one of our weekend services, and some of you will come up to us, and you'll say things like, man, a few weeks ago when Pastor Mike spoke, man, when Pastor Kyle spoke last week while you were gone, it was so powerful, and God just spoke to my heart and touched my heart. Okay, listen, as a leader, I could be jealous of that. As a leader, I could be like, oh, well, and oh, now I'm threatened. Okay, listen, here's the thing. That's one of the greatest compliments you can, matter of fact, some of you have actually said to me, you better watch out. They're gaining on you. They're gunning for you. Okay, listen, that's just not how we see it. Like, that's just not how we lead. Here at Next Level, like, one of the greatest compliments you could give to me is that one of our teaching team, Pastor Will Hutcherson, our student ministries pastor, or Pastor Mike, or Pastor Kyle, to tell me that they're awesome is like, yeah, tell me about it. Like, that. That is the right perspective. So the question for us is that, is that you? Do we struggle with that in our lives? If someone gets an accolade, someone gets a compliment, someone gets a promotion, somebody gets a, is there something inside of you that sure you'll publicly celebrate and you go to the party and you eat the cake, but there's something on the inside when you're alone or when you're with your little group of people, you secretly talk bad about them, you secretly are mad at them, you secretly there's something inside that does that? Is there anybody that, that, that when they actually have something bad that goes on in your world, you have a family member, when something bad happens to them, there's, something, there's a part of you that, that it celebrates and that we get excited. Is there anything in us that really has that in us where anytime something good happens, we get mad. Anytime something bad happens, we get happy. If that is true, it's because we have allowed the idol of position to take root in our hearts and take root in our lives. And if the idol of position is taking root in our heart, we have to make sure that we get it out because it will continue to lead us down paths that we don't want to go and make us people that we do not want to become. So, so Saul starts to, to see this and feels threatened by David. And he's jealous of David. So look what he does. Verse 13 of 1 Samuel 18 says, So he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaign. So basically Saul's like, you know what? I don't want to see you. I don't want to deal with you. So here, take a thousand of these men and just go out there and just occupy yourself and just do whatever because I don't want to have to see you. But look what happens. Verse 14. In everything David did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. There was something special about this guy. And so everywhere David and his thousand men go, they just keep winning. The winning streak continues, just battle after battle, victory after victory. It's incredible. But and look at Saul's response, verse 15. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. When he saw it, when he saw that God's hand of favor was on David, in a different, in a better, and a more uh, amazing, more powerful way than it was on him, 
He was afraid. Number two, when we allow the idol of position to be present in our lives, we function out of fear. We function out of fear. Yeah, and ultimately we fear what, that other people are going to get what we ultimately believe we deserve. I mean, I mean think about this. That David, who is David? Who, David is leading the army. Whose army is he leading? Saul's army. David's out there fighting and leading, batting, winning battles. He is increasing the bottom line of who? Of Saul. Saul is becoming a better king because David is out there fighting for Saul. And yet, Saul is afraid of him. Because when we function out of fear, here's what happens. We turn our greatest allies into enemies. We turn our greatest allies into enemies. And there are people in our workplace, people in our world that are, could be our greatest allies, but we have made them enemies because we are functioning out of fear. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old, both boys, and they are amazing. They are 23 months apart. And if you have one kid and it's about, you're thinking about having them close together, let me tell you, it's one of the most amazing things you can do after about a year and a half. The first year and a half is rough, but if you're thinking about it before then, um, then, you know, go for it. But after a year and a half, they become friends. It's awesome. And my boys are, they are such good friends. The other day, we walked downstairs. You know, we are sleeping. We walk downstairs. Our kids are awake. We're like, this is awesome. They didn't wake us up. But they're downstairs, and one of them's doing their homework, and the other one's coloring. And we're like, this is, like, take a picture. This doesn't happen all the time. But it was amazing. It was like one of those great parenting moments. And we walked out, and they just love hanging out. They love, they love being together. They're kind of like best buddies, except at night. Because at the Ash House, what we do at night is we read one story every night. And you should see them because there's a little bit of fear, a little bit of belief that they deserve to be the person who picks out the story. And so they're scared that they're not going to be able to pick out the story that they want to pick out. And they throw each other under the bus so much. It's amazing to see. It is like they confess and they tell on each other. And he did this. And, you know, they ate a snack and didn't tell you. And he did this and peed his pants. I don't know. But they, <laughs> like, like they, like they will just they make up stuff. It's amazing. And here's the reason why. Because when we function out of fear, it is human nature to turn our greatest allies, turn our friends, turn our coworkers, turn the people around us that are doing well into our enemies. So come on, next level. What about us? Where are we functioning out of fear? Where are we, where are we turning allies into enemies? Maybe it's at work, and you've got that person across the hall. Or across the office center, and, and, and you're jealous of them, and, and so you're trying to figure out, and you're trying to manipulate, and trying to, to make them out to be the bad guy. Maybe it's at home. Maybe it's in our family. And we're, we're trying to twist things because we're functioning out of fear. Maybe it's in our leadership somewhere. Where are we holding grudges against someone who doesn't deserve it? Saul allowed the idol of position to cause him to function out of fear, and it cost him greatly. So when he suddenly realizes that David's out there and he's just still winning more and more and becoming greater and greater, he gets even more afraid. And so you know what he does? He, he calls David in and he says, you know what? I want, I want one of my daughters to marry you. I want you to be my son-in-law. And of course, David is so humble. He's so contrite. He's like, no, listen, that's too big of a thing. No. And so he says, no, I want this to be true. And so Saul says, David, here's the deal. In order to marry one of my daughters, I want you to go out and kill a hundred of our enemies, a hundred Philistines. And when you come back and prove that you've killed 100 of the Philistines, then you can marry my daughter. Well, Saul was basically setting David up to die, to be killed. He thought there's no way he could do it. So when David comes back and has killed 200 Philistines, Saul is, is scared to death. Look at verse 28, tells us, when Saul realized 
that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michael loved David. Her name, by the way, was Michael. <laughs> no, 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 hold on, hold on. Her no. name. <laughs> we talked about this. Her name is not Michael. M-I-C-H-A-L. Uh, my name is Michael, okay? M-I-C-H-A-E-L, okay? That's Michael. Her name is like Michelle, Michal, Mi Michelle. Michelle. Oh, is she French? <laughs> is she French? Really? When you go back to the yeah. original language, she, he married Michelle. <laughs> if, it's, if, she, if it's really the original language, it's probably more like Michelle. It kind of, if it's Hebrew, it, let's well, technically, it, but definitely well, not Michael. Sound, it kind of sounds like you might be functioning out of a little fear. Like, I feel like maybe there's, maybe there's a little fear there, Michelle. <laughs> Not a lot of scenarios where Michael loves it. I'm just saying that in my world <laughs> doesn't work. Anyway, look at verse 29. Look at verse 29. So, so when Saul suddenly realizes that his daughter, Michelle, <laughs> the French woman, <laughs> loves David more than she even loves her dad, all of a sudden, look at verse 29, Saul became still more afraid of him. Look at this part. And he remained his enemy the rest of his life. Days. When we allow the idol of position to be present in our lives, number three, write it down, we forfeit greatness in our lives. Saul could have been one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. Saul could have, he could have had it made. He had this phenomenal leader named David who's, who married his daughter, who was a son-in-law, who was like phenomenal. Saul could have been playing golf every afternoon while David was doing his deal. Like Saul, all he had to do was embrace David. But instead, because of the idol of position, Saul forfeited greatness in his life. Yeah, one thing growing up for me that was pretty interesting is that my dad is a construction worker. He, he's a contractor, general contractor. He can do anything with his hands. My mom, on the other hand, is a graphic designer. She can draw anything. Now, luckily for me, I didn't get any of their skills at all. Okay, you give me a hammer, and the best I'm going to give you is basically a hole in the wall because I'm going to get so frustrated, I'm going to throw the hammer through the wall. That's how I roll. Okay, I can't draw a straight line. It's none of that. But because I grew up that way in the ash house, the way I feel is the man is the one who's supposed to do, like, all the housework, or not housework, but the, the like, put up things and fix things and construction stuff. But I'm not good at it. In fact, <laughs> to be honest with you, just between you and I, my wife is actually a little bit better at that stuff than I am, but she lets me do it sometimes. Because I'm the man, and then, you know, in a position in the home, we all have these roles that we all play. Well, the man is the one who puts stuff up on the walls and does stuff. So I, my wife, every once in a while, will, will allow me to do it and not do it when I'm out of town to surprise me. So one of the times <laughs> that she had me do a project, she did a pro there was a project of us. We needed to put this wire up because we were going to, instead of having doors for our closet, we had, we had this wire with this sheet over it. And she said, hey, will you put this up? And I'm like, yeah, I'll put it up. And I put it off three weeks, and I put it off four weeks. So finally, I'm like, okay, finally, I'm going to tackle this. I hate it, but I'm going to do it. And so I'm, I'm starting to do this, and, and I hear a knock on the door, and I had a friend who come over. I'm like, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, your wife invited me over to help you. <laughs> I am the man. <laughs> if I need help in my house, I'll get help in my house. <laughs> and so for about four hours, it would have taken him about half an hour. For about four hours, he stood there while I did it because I'm the man, okay? 
<laughs> you know what you can do with four hours? A lot of things are not very frustrating. But in the Ash House, the physician is man, or the man is the one who does those things. And because of that, I forfeited greatness, or at least things that weren't you know, terrible. I could have been doing a lot of better things other than that. And honestly, at the end of the day, <laughs> we had to redo it. So, so... <laughs> So it wasn't great anyway. So, you know, when, when, when we have the idol position, when there's a position that we just hold on to and we won't let go of, sometimes that we forfeit greatness and the things that we do don't even get done the right way <laughs> anyways. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. When we allow the idol position to be present in our lives, it keeps us from the position that God has for us. And we see that in the life of Saul. When we allow the idol position to be present in our life, we, it keeps us from the position that God has for us so what do we do how do we keep the idol of position from being a part of our lives well very quickly we want to give you four ways to keep away from the idol of position four ways number one is this first of all we have to submit to the authority that god has placed in our lives number one we have to submit to the authority that god's placed in our life 12 and a half years ago when we started next level of course where we came from was kind of the whole like you know all of the the, the pastors the leaders in charge they would wear, you know, suits the whole, like I did, like we wore suits the whole day. So when we moved here, it was definitely that feeling of us, like we're young and like, but we're, but we're in a movie theater and we know we don't want to be that, but what do we want to be? And so we actually, our team and you and I, like we ended up having a really big argument about this. Like, what do we wear on, you know, on Sunday when we launched the church? And it was like, do we wear, you know, jeans or do we wear khakis, which, you know, if you've seen any of the Gap commercials from back then, were really cool. Like, you know, so we, I mean, you and I were like, we got into it. Yeah, we, we we kind of went back and forth because we were trying to figure out what the right thing was and we didn't know and really we we didn't really come from where they wore suits but we came from where they told us you wear your sunday best and you got to dress up and so that's really the environment we came from and so we just weren't sure and so we kind of went around there were a group of us that were there as we started the church and we went around and really we came we came down to arguing pretty heavy but we said all right we're done arguing let's make a decision and we made a decision really you and I still ended up on two sides of it and I remember thinking we should wear jeans and he's like no we're gonna wear khakis so at the end of the day and I remember I remember that even though I didn't agree with the decision we made I remember choosing to submit to it as if it was my decision and ultimately I mean we both have jeans on so ultimately I won <laughs> but <laughs> but that doesn't change anything but, but submitting to that in that moment, submitting to that, that, that decision in that moment, I'm telling you, there was something that didn't in, inside of me that said, you know what, I am not greater than the decision that a group makes. I am not greater than the decision that we all make. And in Romans chapter 13, there's a verse, and I think this is just so huge, it says 13 verse 1, it says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. And here's why. It says, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authority in our lives is there because who's established it? God has established it. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Now, ultimately, I know this. <laughs> I know that you believe this. I know that we all believe this. Here's the reason why I know that we all believe this. Because if your boss, who you don't like, was to be fired tomorrow, who would you think? God, <laughs> right? If we were promoted tomorrow to become the boss, who would we think? God. So we believe that the person who is the boss is ultimately there because of who? Because of God. 
because God is there. And so, and so listen, sometimes we think, yeah, but oh, I don't know. I can't submit to the authority. I can't do that. Listen, the reason why those people are there at times and we have a boss or we have an authority, we have someone in life that we don't like, the reason why they're there is because God has put people outside of our world in order to do something inside of us. And some of us, when we go submit to authority, we hear that and we go, Mike, you don't understand, though. My boss is a jerk. And if he was here, you would see him or you would meet her and they would come in and then you go, okay, you're the exception. You don't have to deal with it because my boss is that bad. But let me just say this. There are times when God allows jerks on the outside of our lives to work out the jerk on the inside of our hearts. And sometimes there are jerks out here to work out the jerk in here. And if there is a jerk out there in your world, let me just say this. There's a chance God is trying to work out some things inside of us. And I believe the way God wants us to handle it is not to go out, not to spread dissension, not to be mad, not to have a bad attitude. But I believe that the authority that's in our life is there because God has allowed that person to be there. And what we have to do is we have to submit in that season and say, God, I want you to work that work inside of me, even though it's tough to submit to the people that are in leadership in my world. And we are going to trust that God is in charge of all authority. Four ways to keep away the idol of position in our life. Number two, we have to be vulnerable. Be vulnerable with those we lead and those who lead us. We have to be vulnerable with those who lead, we lead and those who lead us. Listen, one of the biggest keys to success in our life and in our leadership is vulnerability. Business leaders, let me talk to us for a second. Listen, it is impossible to succeed in today's leadership world without vulnerability. This young generation that's emerging around us, that's taking their place in the workplace today, demands that we as leaders be vulnerable. And leaders, listen, here's why this is so important. Because when it comes to our leadership, vulnerability begets vulnerability. In other words, when we as the, the leader, the boss, are willing to say, listen, I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. I don't, I don't understand it all. I need help. I need others to weigh in on this decision. You know what that does to our team? It gives them permission to admit that they don't know it all, that they have room to grow, that there are areas where they need our help and our input. And when we create an environment like that, everybody wins. Everybody grows. So how do we keep the idle position away? Number two, we have to be vulnerable. The third way for us to keep away from the idol of position, keep the idol of position away from our lives, is we need bravery to say and receive the hard things. We need bravery to say and receive the hard things. In 12 and a half years of Matt and I working together, there are times where he has had to say some really, really hard things to me, and I've had to receive those things from him. And in the same way, I've had to say some hard things to him, and he's had to receive some hard things from me. Because in any time there's a relationship of any sort, if it's healthy at all, there are times when there are hard things that have to be said and hard things that have to be received. And if we're in a position in our lives where we have to make sure that we are saying the hard things and have the bravery to say them, but also the bravery to receive them. Here's why. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, it says this. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. That when we speak the truth in love, we grow. And we continue to grow and we grow into maturity. And that's why we have to make sure that we are speaking the truth in love. And here's the reason why this is. 
because if I am ha- if I have the bravery to say hard things to Matt, if I have the bravery to say hard things to him, that as I say those hard things to him, as I accomplish that bravery, I essentially am brave enough to make him better. And if I make him better, that means I can't be the best. That means I got to keep lifting him up, lifting him up, and it takes myself and puts myself down. He goes, you know what? I'm going to do even the hard things to try to make you better. And the reason why I need bravery when he says hard things to me is because when he says hard things and I have to have bravery to receive it because I admit in that moment that I am not completely there and I haven't got it all figured out. So here's my question for us. Husbands, what have you not said that's hard? What, what are we not saying that we need the bravery to say to our spouses? Wives, what are the, what's the hard thing that you need to receive? What's a hard thing that your husband has said to you, and you've just, you just backed him down, you just didn't hear it, you just didn't receive it? Or how about wives, what's a hard thing that you've not said to your husbands? And husbands, maybe you haven't had the bravery to go, you know what, I'm the man, and you know, just, just lessen that a little bit, and actually hear what she's trying to say to you. Where do we need bravery to say the hard things? Where are we not saying the hard things right now? Who are the people that we've decided we are not going to have the hard conversation with? When we have hard conversations, when we say the hard things, we help to uproot the idol of position in our lives. Finally, number four, how do we keep the idol of position at bay in our life? We have to trust in God's promotion, not our own. We have to trust in God's promotion, not our own. Look at what James chapter 4, verse 10 says. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, when it comes to promotion in our life, when it comes to position in our life, it's God's promotion. It's his timing. It's it's God's position to give, not ours to take. And David understood that, and Saul never got that. And listen, I understand. I understand that there are, are, are many of us who are in one of our services this weekend And you're frustrated. You're frustrated at at a boss that's a Saul-like leader in your life. And they're not a good leader. And you're you're around going, and I'm frustrated. Listen, I understand. I get it. Well, what do we do? What do we do when we're frustrated? We trust. We trust in God. We trust in God. For some of us, we feel threatened. There's someone across the hall. There's someone across the living room. That seems to be getting more attention, more favor, more accolades, whatever. And, and, and we feel threatened. What do we do? We trust. We trust the Lord. And for some of us, we feel, we feel absolutely forgotten. We, we feel like, you know what? When am I going to get my shot? Like, I feel like there's more in me. I feel like I'm, I, I could be more. I could do more. I could accomplish more. I could be more. What do we do? trust we trust the Lord humble yourselves before the Lord and he is the one who will lift us up so here's what I want to do I want to pray for us I want to pray for so many of us who are in one of our services this weekend or you're watching or listening online or in some other environment I want to pray for us about this idol of position Because God wants too much for us. He has too much for us. For us to let the idol of me, the idol of position, get in the way. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you give us such an amazing picture in your word of this Saul and David relationship. And God, we just line ourselves up against that. 
this weekend. And God, we pray that our hearts would be open like Saul's never was and like David's always was. Father, we pray. I pray for the frustrated person who's just feeling so much tension and frustration. I pray that they would trust you this weekend. God, I pray for the one who feels like, like they are threatened. God, I pray that we could just surrender that feeling, that emotion to you. God, I pray for the one who who feels like they're forgotten, like there's more in them and they're going, come on, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We trust that you are the God of position. And so, Jesus, we remove the idol of me, the idol of position. God, I ask your blessing upon each one of us this weekend, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone in all of our services who agreed, say,